Well, let's just ask the Lord to bless us this morning. Father in heaven, we're thankful today that uh, we can come to this place. And what better place to be than with your people studying your word, preparing for your kingdom. Today I'm unable to know how to go out or go in. I have some things written down. But you have some things uh, planned that we should, we should look at. And I ask that you would, uh, in spite of me, because of me, in spite of us, and yet because of us, be here. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hebrews, something better. Something better. I, I can remember my mother when uh, <clears throat> she'd give me just a little piece of, of, of a dulcaza, a little piece of cake, a little piece of, uh, of uh, what did they say, postre, a little, little, cake, little piece of something sweet. And, uh, and she'd say, there's a lot more where that came from. There's something better. And then I can remember uh, driving my bicycle and thinking that was the best thing until I noticed that some others had little motor scooters and then they had little cars and then they had jets. And I realized there was something better, <laughs> always something better. Are you glad that the Christian life is dynamic and not uh, static? It's always moving forward. There's always something better. And the book of Hebrews is certainly like that. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better. Something better. And I, I have an idea that, that, that heaven is something better. And uh, these conferences are kind of like that. They're just a little piece of something better. Now, if you want to have something better, um, then you, you have to be prepared to go to the next level. You know what I mean? You want to kick it up a notch, you got to be able to, to go up. And that, that little uh, phrase in the Psalms, that little word, sila, it, it doesn't just mean think about it. It's a musical note for those, uh, those people that are pianists here like yourself already know this. You know, they modulate up. And they go up just a little half note, a little bit more. And there's always something better. There's those songs of ascent where you're going higher and higher and higher with the Lord. But you can't go to the next level if you uh, haven't gone to the level before. I mean, it's, it's kind of like last year's conference. You're climbing the rounds of that ladder by the grace of God, right? And uh, so when we look at Hebrews chapter 8, we can see that Jesus had took a quantum leap up. It says, now this is the main point of the things we're saying. We have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And so he's taken that quantum link. He's, he, he, he is seated. He's at the right hand. And he's a high priest. Um, how many think that's, that's, that's good news? Amen. He's taken the next step. He's a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. So this is the sanctuary actually of the new covenant. The heavenly sanctuary is the sanctuary of the new covenant. And uh, so he's gone away from the tent and he's become even more intense. He's in that heavenly sanctuary. Every priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifice. Therefore, it's necessary that this one have also something, something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not have been a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts 
according to the law. Of course, he wasn't of the right tribe or a lineage to be a priest on earth, and yet he was. And um, who serve as a copy and as a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry insomuch as he's a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So you have this whole idea of, uh, of Christ, our forerunner. He's, he's, he's taken a quantum leap. He's, he's gone farther, f further. And uh, he wants his people to as well. And, um, you know, he was tested. They did a little DNA testing on him. He touched me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Remember that when he said that? And then he went there into the, into the presence of the Lord, and he was accepted. And he was accepted. And because of that, you know, it says in Hebrews 1, 8 and 9, he, he was accepted because he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. And so he was anointed with the oil of gladness more than all his brethren. And, uh, and, and, and then the Holy Spirit was able to descend. So uh, he overrode, if you were, his genetics, so to speak. Came in the likeness of sinful human flesh. And he had an epigen epigenetical uh, advantage that... Uh, that he exercised. What's that mean? Well, you know, you got genetics. How many of you are familiar with genetics? That makes me a little nervous because I'm, <laughs> I'm not really familiar. But I, I am uh, the result of genetics. So that's my only claim to, <laughs> to any, any uh, inside information. But there's this principle called uh, epigenetics that I think is interesting. I read about it first in a little book by Colin Campbell, who was doing these studies on rats. I'm always glad I'm not a rat. <laughs> and uh, they studied these rats, and these rats were developing cancer um, if they ate a certain amount of protein. But if they lowered that protein, they could turn the cancer gene off. Uh, if they went back and ate that certain amount, they could turn it back on. Uh, could Jesus have sinned? Could he have fallen? But instead he rose above the genetics and because of that he could pass the DNA test, so to speak. And he wants us to have that same experience. So, look down here. This, I want to just go through four points this morning in my very brief and limited time. Uh, in my church at Three Angels, I was used to preaching an hour each time. But they're cutting things short in righteousness today. So, uh, <laughs> um, in this particular chapter, we see his preparation, but we also see his... Uh, his purpose. And I want to look first at verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 10. Well, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be to them, be, I will be their God, they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember 
no more. And this is the new covenant. Of course, it's interesting that this new covenant is found in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, 33 is the counterpart to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. So, there's four elements there. There's sanctification, and then there's reconciliation, and then there's mission, and then there is justification. Four elements in the uh, new covenant. First one, sanctification. I will write my law in their minds and in their hearts. What is God's law? It's His unchanging eternal law. Deuteronomy 4.13 says, He declared His covenant, even His Ten Commandments. And so Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, chapter 4, verse 13, alerts us to the fact that the, the covenant that He wants to write in our hearts is nothing more than the, and nothing less than the Ten Commandments. How many of you want that written on your hearts and minds today? And he wants the godly to be like God. Godliness. Look at Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 7. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 20. Verse 7. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God. And so he wants his people to be Holy, even as he's holy. Peter says the same thing in the New Testament, but here in Leviticus it says, Be ye holy. Um, the motivation is because he has delivered us. He, he is always the one that acts first, and we react to his grace and his wondrous love. In fact, in Leviticus 11.45 it basically mentions, uh, uh, this is what motivates you, because I delivered you. But notice, we're there in Leviticus 20, verse 7. It says, verse 8, And you shall keep my statutes and perform them. Um, I am the Lord who, what's it say? Sanctifies you. I, I think that's encouraging. Sanctify yourselves, it says, verse 7. But then it says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. How many think that's pretty encouraging? So, in other words, can you sanctify yourself? But can He come in and do that good work? You believe it? Yes. yes. So sanctification. And I love the fact that he, we are enabled to do right. Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk. I kind of like that. How many of you have tried it on your own? But his spirit can come within and cause you to walk. Now, I was listening to a tape from a evangelical preacher the other day. I've been listening to some sermons on Hebrews 8 just to see, you know, uh, what's for supper. <laughs> so, I was looking at what they had been eating <laughs> as they ate Hebrews 8. And they were making the big point that in the Old Testament people were just not able, they were not able to walk a holy life. Well, that's not what my Bible says. The Spirit was there and they if they responded to God's grace and they responded to Him, He could cause them to walk in the right way. I think that's good news. But look at another text with me just in case you're waffling. And remember that waffles many times get eaten. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. I love that text. Don't you love it? 
I will circumcise you. I'll cause you to be able to live. Does anyone here want to live today? Amen. That is good news. Verse 11 through 16. For this commandment which I command you today, it's not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor does, is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. How many think that's good news? See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your heart, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go in to possess. And so it's good news. It's not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your rates. The Word is in your heart to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and keep His commands. Are you thankful that He can come in and do that? I tell you what, we have a problem in this nation, physically speaking, of heart disease. And we have one spiritually speaking of heart disease. And God says, I'll enter right in and cleanse it and empower you from the inside out. By the way, Romans picks up this theme and quotes Deuteronomy 30 right there in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, it, it, it builds right on Deuteronomy. Look at Romans chapter 10. And in Romans chapter 10, we see that this whole idea is uh, again mentioned in verse 5. Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Who will ascend into the abyss? Verse 7, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. In other words, he's saying, look, New Testament uh, word, <laughs> uh, the New Testament is just recapitulating the promise of Deuteronomy verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that the Lord, Je the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. How many think that's pretty good news? And uh, just calling on the Lord, verse 13, whoever calls upon the Lord, name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, I've been learning more and more just to cry out to God. And you have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, they're always crying out. I figured I might as well try it too. And they, they create all kinds of opportunities. You know, my kids can cry out and they get some amazing results from my wife. Sometimes from me even. They have to really cry out to get my attention. I mean, I, I sleep so heavily, but my wife, oh, man, she's up, man. And I think that God's probably more like my wife than me. And he's just listening for a cry, right? So, um, unfortunately, um, verse 16 says in Romans 10, but they have not all obeyed the gospel so, even though the good news was there, even though God's spell could come over them and they could allow that, many of them did not respond in faith. And faith, of course, is demonstrated by obedience. They, they did not uh, appreciate it. But there were notable exceptions in the Old Testament. Your law is 
I delight to do thy will, O my God. Your law is in my heart, said David. God could say of him at the end of his life, he's a man after my own heart. Isaiah 51, 7, you know what is right, you who know what is right, who have my law in your hearts. And so there were signal examples in Isaiah of those who knew it was right, who had God's law in their hearts. So sanctification, then, the first DNA marker. God can write His law in our hearts. He desires to do that, it says in Romans chapter 8. And we can be, well, I like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. But such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. How many of you are thankful that God wants to do that to us? Now, you know, um, what's new about the new covenant? We've seen that the old covenant, it was relatively new. At least it sounded like it to me, wasn't it? But what was new about it? Well, Jesus came. He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, He was anointed with the oil of gladness more than all His brethren. And He was, in fact, the new covenant. Look at Isaiah chapter 42, verse 21. Um, and so, what's new about this New Testament word is Jesus has come. He has, he has made the preparation and He is, in fact, the new covenant. And um, Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42 said that when Jesus came, He did something, He would do something. Verse 21, the Lord is well pleased for His righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. He was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Um, even though he was surrounded, verse 24, at the end, by those who would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his laws. So he came, and where they had failed, he was successful. And so he was called, verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will hold your hand, and I will keep you and give you as a, what does it say next? A covenant to the people. How many think that's very good news? Amen. So... He was holy. He was harmless. He was undefiled. He fulfilled the law. And He desires the same to be done in us. And He has promised to do it. His biddings are His enablings. I love working at amazing facts. Because uh, I'm surrounded by, you know, former felons. Well, once a felon, always a felon. <laughs> Cavemen and thieves and it's just great to be there, you know. Yeah, I just feel so great because, you know, it's like those people you read about in the New Testament. You know, the man who was the demoniac and he had a hard time keeping clothes on. And finally he was saved, you know. He was, uh, he, he, he was, uh, he, God got a hold of his heart. And uh, it says he was clothed and in his right mind. And everyone was afraid. <laughs> This had to be, you know, this is like, that, that, that was like Doug Batchelor back then, you know. You, you heard his story. Doug Batchelor used to walk around with no clothes on. Now he's the head of uh, Amazing Facts. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, he's like the, 
the head, head of Weimar. <laughs> who would have thought someone would come to Weimar who used to have no clothes on, walk around? But God can do great things, amen? He's clothed and in his right mind. And you know, the people that were the biggest failures become the biggest successes. In the Old Testament, Moses killed some people. <laughs> But then he wrote the most, I mean, most of the Old Testament. New Testament, Paul, he, he, would, he would kill a bunch of people like you before breakfast. <laughs> he just loved it. But then he wrote most of the New Testament. God can change people, wonderfully change them. He can sanctify them. I remember Alan Parker, my esteemed uh, colleague who preceded me at the amazing Facts College of Evangelism, telling about a lady who came to the college and she was sitting there and she confessed finally a little of her background and she says, well, I live with this man, he was a bad man, so I shot him. <laughs> and her sweet mates went, and he didn't know what to do. So he told some stories just like I told you. God can change people. Yes. Amen? Amen? By the way, so he wants to sanctify us. That's part one. That's part of the new covenant experience that he desires. Number two, he wants to reconcile us, says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, I will be your God, they will be my people. You shall, I will be your God, you shall be my people. I will be their God, they shall be my people. You know, Leviticus chapter 26 is pretty key. Look at Leviticus chapter 26 and looking this, at this from the Old Testament. And in Leviticus chapter 26, you have this cause and effect thing going on where God is punishing sinners and, and He is uh, allowing them to see the cause and effect results of their unsanctified lives. And um, it, it really is spanning all the covenants because look at verse 40, 42. I will remember my covenant with Jacob, with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham, I will remember, I will remember the land. So there's, there's a kind of a summary of all the covenants. Then look at verse 45. For their sake I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. So that's the Sinai covenant. So you have Sinai, you have Abraham, you have Isaac, you have Jacob. All the covenants are, seven, are summarized here in Leviticus chapter 26, right? In other words, God's saying, there's the same kind of thing I was trying to accomplish in all those covenants. And uh, Levit Leviticus 26 and verse 12 kind of lays the foundation of, of what was going on. What was his desire to see happen? His desire, verse 12, was, I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. And that's what it says in Hebrews, you know. I will be their God, they shall be my people. In other words, the punishments that God allowed to come as a result of what was going on was, were designed to bring people into reconciliation with God. I want to walk with you. I want to be your God, and you can be my people. And then the reconciled would then be enlisted in reconciliation ministry. Um, they have been reconciled, and now they can reconcile others. By the way, did Jesus, did Jesus have to uh, prepare to be involved in the reconciliation ministry, so to speak? Sure he did. He 
went through the incarnation. He himself was compassed with infirmity, it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities, all points tempted yet without sin, Hebrews 4, 15. In all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So, he went through this preparation to be able to make reconciliation through the incarnation, through his baptism, all these things. For he himself has suffered being tempted. Now he is able to succor them that are tempted. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. So his incarnation has prepared him to make reconciliation. His baptism. God gave some approval. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. His transfiguration. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then when he was resurrected, he said, don't touch me. For I have not yet ascended to my father. And he went to the father. And when he, when he got up there, there was this royal inauguration. And they said, we accept what you've done. And because of that, because of his preparation, he's able to make reconciliation. Boy. I, I think that's just great. Amen. How many of you are glad that, that Jesus prepared? Amen. I mean, how many of you want to prepare? Amen. How many of you want to be prepared? Amen. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Prepare me to be someone that can reconcile. You know, these people in the, like those that were unclothed, and then they were clothed, and they were a right mind, or the demoniacs. How many of you like the story of the demoniacs? Nobody? How many of you just love the story of the demoniacs? I mean, they were cutting themselves. They were like the worst possible. And then God changes their lives. And they say, we want to go with you. And he says, no, 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 no. No, you stay right here. No one's going to believe what happened to you. No one is going to believe it. But you are now ministers of reconciliation. And they went through the Decapolis. <laughs> and they became ministers of reconciliation. My landlords are former felons. <laughs> work in amazing facts. And God has done wonderful things in their lives. And uh, they teach Sabbath school now and, and everything else. And uh, there's other people on this campus like, how many of you have heard of Peter Gregory? He used to be King Cobra. <laughs> he was a demoniac. <laughs> yes or no? He was headed down the wrong. I hope he's not here. I mean, I don't want him to. He was the wrong, he was going the wrong way. Is that right? But then he went the right way. We have cavemen that are going. They changed. And God says, "Look, I'll put you in charge of telling other people about me." I mean, look at all the the, the evangelists. They're always people that were really messed up before. <laughs> Most effective ones, right? And that story is like, whoa, man! You can be messed up in different ways. How many of you know? It may be messed up in different ways, but whatever happens, even if you're a demoniac, God can change you. I saw Steve Wahlberg's booth here, too. That was another messed up brother. You ever hear of his story? You read these different books and go, man, these people are messed up. And sometimes people are messed up outside the church, and sometimes they're messed up inside the church. Actually, I'm a pretty twisted individual myself. <laughs> so are you. But God can do wonderful things, right? He can bring you to be reconciled with Himself, and then He says, go. Share with someone else. Reconcile them. Right? So people that are rich can be messed up. People that are poor, they can be messed up. You know? Have you noticed this? Yeah. 
All right, let's move on. So we have <laughs> sanctification is the first thing in this new covenant. God wants that to happen. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be reconciled. But then, number three, He wants us, how much time do I have, oh, Mr. Timekeeper, to have a sense of mission. Twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. Oh, my goodness. Twelve minutes. Who's next? Okay, you can alert him that things are not going his way. But anyway, no. Things are so, number three, mission. A sense of mission. They will all know me from the least to the greatest, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, verse 11. He says, look, you'll all know me from the least to the greatest. How many think that's a wonderful mission statement? Yes. In fact, Exodus 19, 5 and 6 says that God wanted His people to be a kingdom of priests Amen. and a holy nation. And who were they to be priests to? Themselves? No. To who? To the world. Same thing with Jacob in Genesis chapter 12. You're blessed that you might be a blessing. Same thing for Israel in Psalm 67, 1 and 2. Make your ways known on the earth among all the nations. This was to be their purpose. To know Him and to make Him known. That was the purpose. Did they, did they in fact live up to that purpose? I will show myself holy through you, Ezekiel 36, 23. You will know me, Hosea 6, 6, and make me know, Isaiah 49, 3 and 6. And this would be demonstrated in practical ways, Jeremiah 22, 16, and Isaiah 58, by helping the poor. But, unfortunately, it says in Isaiah 26, verse 18, Isaiah 26, verse 18, you might want to write that one down, Isaiah 26, verse 18, we have not brought salvation to the nations. So they had to confess, we have not done it. We have failed. But thank God where Israel failed, the true Israelites succeeded. Jesus came and said, Luke 19.10, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. What's new about the new covenant? Jesus came and He succeeded where Israel failed. He said, no one has seen the Father at any time, has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. That's what's new about the new covenant. John 1.18. John 14.9. If you've seen me, He summarizes, you have seen the Father. <laughs> and I have declared to Him your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me might be with them and I in them. John 17.26. And then He said, John 13.14, go love as I have loved you. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all to myself. And if you take up your cross and follow me, you'll draw others as well. The sense of sacrificial mission, a new covenant promise, would become a reality for the new, new, new Testament church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 12, we are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You notice that? They were supposed to be priests to work the world, but they didn't make it, and so... Jesus came and then they took up the promises again. They came heirs according to the promise to fulfill the gospel commission. Does God still desire a group of people, a generation of youth and even old people for Christ? Amen. Does He desire a group of people to be His missionaries? They were first His mission filled, but then His missionaries. Does He desire that today? Amen. Is there a sense of mission, a purpose that's burning in your heart? 
<laughs> Might have to call the doctor to come in sooner. <laughs> you know, I was reading Loma Linda messages the other day. I was going to visit Loma Linda, so I thought I'd read up. And uh, as I was reading Loma Linda messages, I found it interesting on how all the different things that went forward to starting Loma Linda University. But one of the things that really gripped me was that they didn't just, uh, they didn't, they weren't supposed to just accept any students. They were supposed to go and interview students and find out which students wanted to fulfill the gospel commission. It wasn't those who could get student loans. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It wasn't those who could afford it. It wasn't those whose parents had went there, so you better let them in. <laughs> it was those who wanted to fulfill the gospel commission. Amen. Does anyone here want to fulfill the gospel commission? Amen. Raise your hand if you want to do that. All right, I'd love to talk to you all. We're starting a new school here. <laughs> Can't buy your way in, but if you want to fulfill the gospel commission, Amen. We need to be about our Father's business. You know, some people will pick a school based on what the U.S. News and World Report says about it. Oh, it's one of the top 20 schools. And it looks like one of the schools of the prophets, but you're spelling that wrong. I want to find a school that's focused on mission. I was impressed. I talked to some people. You know, some people go to certain schools and they go, well, I went to, I went to, they don't want to say it. You know? But these people went to one of those schools. Oh, I went to the. But you know what? Our next student. <laughs> but you know what? These very people had a sense of mission instilled by that school, and I was visiting with them in a country where they. There was no growth of the Adventist church for 18 years, and they went there and they just started doing mission work. And that, that, that church where it hadn't grown, our church hadn't grown for 18 years. In the last two years, it's had 80 baptisms. And they're reaching everybody in that nation. And I say, man, I'm glad they went to that school. That school. Amen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Finally, sanctification. What was the second one? Reconciliation. What was the third one? Mission. Finally, and lastly, how much do I have? Five minutes for our last point. <laughs> I should just relax a bit. There's justification. Justification. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Oh, I think that's the best for the last. Now, where was this promise of forgiveness first given? Some people say, oh, that's New Testament, man. That's got to be New Testament, New Covenant stuff. Oh, yes. Actually, no. Sorry. Wrong answer once again, for those of you who gave it. The first time forgiveness is mentioned is in Exodus 34, part of the Old Testament, verse 1 through 7, who is a God full of mercy, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness, stable. He's about keeping love for thousands, it says, forgiving iniquity, and that's the word for really bad stuff. Transgression, that's Pesha, and sin, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. There was no sac sacrifice in the sanctuary for these kind of sins that are mentioned there. And here was a God who was forgiving, and this description is repeated over and over again. Numbers 14, 18, Nehemiah 9, 17, Psalm 86, 15. I won't say the rest because I only have 4.2 minutes. 
But it's repeated again and again. This forgiving God was found in the Old Testament. I think that's good news. And just as soon as the people said, all that the Lord has said we will do, he said, okay, let me show you how to make a sanctuary. Because <laughs> I know you're going to mess up, and I'm the God of forgiveness. I want nothing to keep you from having that second chance. He's not the God of the one chance. He's the God of many chances in my life. And if you're honest, He's been giving you many chances too. And if you're saying, no, He hasn't, He needs to give you another one right now. <laughs> Christ would bear our iniquity. He would heal us. He says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Who is a God like you forgiving iniquity? And He casteth our sins behind His back into the depths of the sea. And that's all Old Testament. But what about New Testament? What does it mean that He came? What was new about the New Covenant? Well, Hebrews 4.2 says that all of them had the Gospel preached to them, even as we did. So the Gospel was there. We've seen that. But Christ Himself came, and then He kicked it up a notch. Even though He had done nothing wrong, it says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. I think that's good news. Amen. While we were still without strength, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died. For us. I think that's good news. How many think that's a little new? That's what's new about the new covenant. All the others were looking forward. But then he came and he said, Look, I'm here. And even though I have been tempted at all points, like as you are yet without sin, I'll become sin for you. What wondrous love! What wondrous love! And so he could be just and the justifier of the one who has. Faith in Jesus, Romans 3.26. How many are glad that He's just? And how many are glad that He wants to be the justifier? Now, I wondered as I'm closing here, why was this order given? Why was it sanctification, reconciliation, mission, and then justification? You ever wondered that? Well, it seems like, you know, if you read most of the books uh, put out today, you'd want to put justification first, you know. There are some people I could name that would really get into justification first and then comes the other. You know what I mean? The order. But it seems to be an order that's repeated there, also in other places. But I'm going to try this on for size, being a Seventh-day Adventist. How many, of you, how many of you realize that that order is good? That's a good order. And let me just say this to you. Jesus comes and we, for, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But notice in that text, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. There's kind of a pattern. We confess, He forgives, that is that He covers that, but then He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Can you see that progression? We say, look, I want to be holy. I want to be sanctified. I want to be reconciled. I want to be a missionary for you. But I've failed. Right? He says, okay, I forgive you. But then he goes in this, this apartment work that begins, we see it in Hebrews chapter 9. And what's he do? He begins this work of doing what? Cleansing the heavenly sanctuary. Cleanses. He not only covers, but he blots the sins out. And he's in the process of doing that right now. And I am happy to be a part of a church that proclaims that message and says the one who covered it is going to take care of it completely. He's blotting it out. He's going to justify and remember the sins no more. Is that good news? I think it's good news.
And so Stephen could say, Stephen can say, On Mount Sinai, Moses received living words, living words to pass on to us. I'm thankful for those living words. I lived with my grandfather for a number of years, as I mentioned in uh, the session. And his favorite song was, Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. And as he took care of my ailing grandmother who had six strokes, I would see him walk up the stairs with the laundry and down the stairs, and he never said a discouraging word. And would go in and stroke, stroke grandmother's face, which long since had been rendered unable to display the signs of affection. And he would stroke that face and say, I love you, honey. I'm so thankful I can do this for you. And my grandmother, I know she knew it. The wondrous love of someone who was being sanctified, who was being reconciled, who saw their mission as service to the mate, who now was a, unable to do what they had done before. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of love. The New Covenant experience was not just to be demonstrated by Christ. He wants us to have that New Covenant experience too. So as we pray, how many of you want to bow your heads with me and just ask the Lord to sanctify you? Father in heaven, Lord, give us the DNA that we've seen in this chapter. Give us your holiness. You call us to holiness, but you tell us you can cause us to be holy. Give us your ministry of reconciliation. Give us your sense of mission. And Lord, thank you that you are in the process of not just covering our sins, but blotting them out. Thank you that we can be a part of that people with that clarion call. May we never forget it. May we be the people that are your people pointing to that new covenant sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary, and your ministry there. And may you return soon. In Jesus' name we pray as we look to something better. Amen.